I've always been told in Alaska and the Yukon, I mean, they can be ferocious and you never make eye contact. Is, have you heard that? You know, you get up above the clouds, you can actually photograph wildlife above the clouds, which is, is something different than what you can usually find. It's an amazing spot. And I think that a lot of the trailheads in Colorado, in that area, you can find goats. For those of you that put up where you took it, thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> not that I have the time to go everywhere, but it's interesting to see some of these, these places. It was great to just observe like we've talked about before. You don't always get the shot. Welcome to Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Your hosts, Ron Hayes, Michael Morrow, and myself, Mark Raycroft, are creating a podcast where we've got an epic story today, but to bring it all together... I'm coming in from Ontario, Canada at 2 p.m. Ron, where are you and what time is it there? Douglas, Wyoming, which is eastern Wyoming, and it is straight up noon and almost ready to hit 100 degrees already. Ouch. Michael, where are you and what time is it where you are? It's currently 10 a.m. and I'm in Anchorage, Alaska. It's about 58 degrees and it says mostly cloudy on my watch which is perfect for some wildlife photography, right? Love it. So we've got four hours between us today, but we're all coming to you at the same time. Michael was just teasing us because he was saying there were moose outside and he might go photograph them later. That's not fair ball, people, not fair ball. Today's podcast, we are going to go on a journey with one of our co-hosts, Ron. He had a very exciting weekend at high altitude, Rocky Mountain High, as in altitude, couple of weekends ago and had a great adventure with all kinds of elements to discuss and he is going to share that with us as well as the images so I'm just going to take a quick second and remind all of our listeners that you can see any of the images that we discussed during these podcasts as well as any links to any relevant uh, information on our website at wildandexposed.com and go to the WE podcast page and you can see all of our podcasts. Click on the one of interest and below you'll see the show notes and all of the photos or video or short videos, etc. will be there for your viewing enjoyment at your leisure. Also, we would appreciate it if you would show us the love and give us positive ratings on whatever platform you're watching on various audio platforms. Give us a thumbs up or the five stars because that really truly helps us statistically to continue to do what we love and bring you our adventures in person and do our best to whisk you away into wildlife photography and outdoors with us. So please take the, take the time to do that before or after you listen to the podcast, and that is much appreciated by us. So for now, we're going to hear about Ron's adventure and what he found and the elements he had to deal with in some of the highest country that Colorado has to offer. Take it away, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just had a few days to uh, to get out and about, so I decided to go ahead and just take a trip south to Colorado, try to find some mountain goats. Um, went to a location in central Colorado where, you know, they're very accessible. You can get up to 14,000, a little bit over 14,000 feet. The goats are in multiple different areas. They're in multiple different settings. So you've got just good opportunities to get some great backgrounds with your wildlife images. The other thing was, is there was a storm forecast 
And initially they had said that it was going to be thunder showers, a lot of lightning. Uh, I've been down there a couple times and was fortunate enough to, when it was um, raining in the lower country, you know, you get up above the clouds and you can actually photograph wildlife above the clouds, which is, is something different than what you can usually find. And so I, I kind of looked at the storm forecast and when they were talking about lightning, talking about the storms being a little bit higher, I, I kind of measured whether or not it was going to be worth going. Uh, but they kind of backed off the lightning forecast and they, you know, the storms were then forecast to be a little bit more spotty. So threw everything in the back of the vehicle and off it went to Colorado. I uh, got there about midnight. The first morning when you drive up to this location, the lower country, there's, you know, there's not a lot of wildlife unless you do, you know, there's an opportunity you could find some elk out grazing. I uh, didn't see anything like that. And the the plan was to get there in time to get a sunrise. And you're on the right side of the sun to get that. When I got up there, though, I didn't didn't think about the fact that I was going to be seeing mostly metropolitan area down below me. So the the sunrise opportunity quickly turned to trying to find some pica. And we did get some pica in, in good light in the morning. So that, you know, that was a plus. That was the only time that I took the time to photograph pica the whole trip. And they're all over up there. They're a lot of fun how they duck in and out of the rocks they and they've got their yeah. little shrill calls and they collect all the greenery and, they, and then they run back in. And I've always been told in Alaska and the Yukon, I mean, they can be ferocious and you never make eye contact. Is, have you heard that? With the pica? With pikas. Because <laughs> they'll leap onto your hat. and I guess... You know, the last time I saw an attack of any animal from that family was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I think. Oh, could be. That could rabbit. Be. I, am, I am just joking because they are one of the cutest little rodents in the north and in the high ele ele elevations. So yeah, it's, they fun. Definitely it's are. fun to play around with them. But you're, you're, te kinda, you're, go you're ahead. teasing us a bit here. You're teasing us about this adventure. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm a little concerned about the the high elevation and the lightning, and I've got these pictures of Moses and the sounds from heaven coming down, <laughs> that you're going to have this experience. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I saw an Instagram, and I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of you. I saw an epic you, image of yours you from this trip. I am. So, Ron will get to that <laughs> shortly. In the meantime, keep listening to this audio podcast, but make sure you check out his Instagram feed later to see the image we're talking about, or, of course, the show notes. Okay, sorry, Ron. I'll, I'll back up. <laughs> that's I'm all right it. so buttoning it. the the morning just was it started off pretty slow even even for that area so I messed around with the pica then i found you know i wanted my marmot what was it that luke had said the cover of marmot monthly i wanted that shot when we were up north in canada but i didn't get it but i definitely got it on this trip this guy you know great background and it's a marmot it was a yellow-bellied marmot, not a hoary marmot like we had up north, so it was a little bit different species. Had a, a great brief shoot with these marmots and then headed up the up the mountain, and we did find some goats. The first group that we found, it was a large group of nannies and kids, and uh, they were they were bedded at the time. It was the whole time it was very windy, like extremely windy. It, I think you know, mild for that weekend was about 20 to 30 miles an hour. 
but it was consistent. And then the gusts later on, the gusts got up to about 45. But the the goats were bedded. the The kids were up and playing. And and the the one the other reason that I wanted to go down this time of year is because the wildflowers. So you've got this carpet of, you know, the the grasses and and wildflowers obviously are kind of intermittent, because it's a very rocky area. But you've got this carpet of yellow wildflowers between the rocks, and so that you know it made for a great foreground and those those goats were bedded right in amongst the the wildflowers. So it was, it was pretty phenomenal that morning. Uh, we got up to the, the end of the road and there was a couple goats up there, but you know, it was, it wasn't a great shoot. I guess the light was starting to get harsh. We went and hiked a couple different areas. I took some images of this Billy and I'll have to, uh, I'm still trying to split it out because the billy is very small but i wanted to show him on this it was a sheer cliff and you know mike's been to this area before there's a lake and then a trailhead that takes off from the lake and that's where we saw this billy from and he was a long ways out there he's just going to be a speck you know mountain goats when you see them up close they're not all that impressive but then when you sit step back and look at the environment that they live in and this was one of those examples this Billy's up on this sheer rock face, and this face is probably, you know, 1,300 feet from top to bottom. And this thing is midway up, and he's just out on this face with no fear, just out there chewing on lichens, licking mineral, doing what the goats do. For our audience, why is he, why is he out there? Is, is he out there for the minerals or for the lichens? I mean, does he have to go to that extreme for forage? Probably not. Is it security? Like what? Just so they understand. I mean, yeah, why I mean, they get out there? He didn't bed out there, but yeah, I mean, that's a. They have very few predators up that high, but it is security for them. There's not many animals that are willing to go out on those same faces like they do. The sheep will. But you don't even, you know, generally you don't even see sheep on some of these sheer faces, sheer cliffs that you'll find the goats on. But no, he came through this drainage that had this lush vegetation in it and then took himself out on the out on the face. And it, it kind of just seemed like he was just getting from point A to point B. And that seemed like the best route to him at the time, because when he got out on the face, then he turned and went straight up the mountain. And went back up to a, a bedding area. He finally did bed. He didn't bed on the face, but he finally bedded up in this boulder field up above it. But yeah, it was incredible. No images worth taking. I took a couple just to kind of give a sense of place for this goat, but nothing that's going to be used. But it was unbelievable to watch him just kind of traverse through this this cliff face and the, the boulder field that he ended up in. Did you take an image to show this Billy on this grand scale that people will be I able did, to see? I did, yeah. Okay. Yep. That's and cool. I'll so, send it. I I want to do a, a pullout so he can see the goat because he is honestly sure. just a speck inside of the inside of the yeah. image. But yeah, it, it was amazing. That's one thing about sh- mountain sheep and especially mountain goats that are even more courageous when it comes to these heights you know how and why they do this and obviously it's for security predators can't access them but i personally do not have the gene to go up on rock faces and feel comfortable i am not doing that 
And to see these animals living on this and traversing it where you can hardly see the, the little ledge that they're walking on, it's that small. I mean, that's one of the things about mountain goats. It's just astonishing, right, At, from a behavior yep. point of view. And, and, uh, well, and I this, think the, the coolest thing about this area is there are a lot of kids up there, too. So you get yep. to see them at a very, very young age. And normally when I go up there, like Ron was saying, you try to hit it with the wildflower so you can get that really nice color and all that stuff going on. But if you go up a little earlier, the, the nannies and the kids are all separated, right? So they go off quite a ways away from anywhere. You can spot them with binoculars way off in the distance. But they're very leery to be out amongst anything else. But as, what, two or three weeks, four weeks pass, then they all start to gather. And so you have all the kids playing. And I guess my point is, is you'll see these little kid goats jumping from rock to rock to rock and with reckless abandon. I mean, they don't really, I mean, yeah. you watch them do some of the stuff that they're doing here and thinking there's no way that little kid's going to survive jumping around like that, but they do. And that's how they learn. And that's how I guess they, they develop that, that strength and then that courage to do what they do and, and be where they're at. Yeah. Those little guys are absolutely fearless. And actually, so we did the first, kids that we found that we had a good opportunity with they ended up kind of circling around this rock face and on onto a cliff face so i wanted to go photograph them and my first thought was well if they went down there i probably i can get down there too and it, it looked like it was you know not a gentle slope but it looked like it was uh negotiable and let me tell you it was not I got over there and it was straight down and there, there was a crack. I mean, you could have, you could have repelled down that thing, but I was not going to get to where they went to. So lost out on that opportunity. They, I'm sure went around the corner and had a nap. Um, but yeah, it, it looked like it would have been easy, but it, it definitely was not. And I'm probably with you, Mark. I, I err on the side of caution when there's a thousand feet below me. <laughs> you know, I spent, the, the remainder of the morning and the midday um, up high, had some lunch. And then in the evening, or the actually the late afternoon, um, had a decent shoot with some with some uh, nannies and kids up up high, and then decided to kind of work back down the mountain to see if those because that that group, they were kind of bedded ab above this cliff face. And that's you know the iconic goat images you want them on that steep terrain. And so I went back down to see if they had kind of worked their way out and they went on the way down. And this is one of the images that I included. And I, I'm going to put this video on the Instagram feed just because it was, it was something that I've never seen before. I'll put it on in our story for the podcast, but the clouds were, the wind was blowing so hard that the clouds were just nonstop changing. And so one of the things that I saw when I went down is, uh, there were, and I've never seen it before. It was a circular rainbow. It was kind of like a, I guess it would it'd be similar to a sun dog, but it, where these clouds were is just at the perfect angle, and there was enough precip in the clouds. It was at the perfect angle from the sun that this circle just stayed in one spot, just stayed in that angle. So as the clouds moved, the the rainbow would kind of diminish, and then it would come back, but it always came back in the same spot. And so I couldn't help but stop and take a couple images of that because I've never seen that before. You know, generally you get the arc of the rainbow, 
or you might get a partial rainbow and a waterfall, something like that. But I've never seen this circle. And it it tracked across these clouds for, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with it because I wanted to get down to the goats. But, you know, I was there for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And it was just it was just neat to watch. And you get you're above the clouds at that point. Um, and it's just one of those things that kind of catches your eye and and just captivates you for a short time. I finally got back down to where the goats were and the kids were. It was like a big game of king of the mountain. They were taking turns, knocking each other off the top of this little pedestal. And it wasn't real high, but they'd get knocked off they'd shoot right back up and they'd go back to button heads or trying to knock each other off so got some good play um good play shots uh good behavior shots right there close and then they did they bailed off into the into the clouds basically off these side of these cliffs and that's when mark the the shot that you were alluding to everything just kind of started they just one bailed off and a nanny and kid, it was a, a young Billy. I know that because we saw him, you know, using the facilities there on the side of the mountain. So no, it was a Billy. He was the first one to bail off. And then another younger goat, like yearling, bailed off with him. And they kind of made their way around this cliff face. And as they made their way around, you could kind of see this thing building up because the clouds were changing in the background. The sun was starting to get low on the horizon. And so, and at that point in time, the wind was blowing about 45 miles an hour pretty consistently. And uh, so you could see this thing building up. So I honestly had to bail off uh, to get lower to try to get out of the wind because you knew where the shot was going to happen. It was just when the animal was in the right spot. And I had to literally sit down between the rocks because I couldn't hold my camera steady. Uh, didn't have a tripod because I was, you know, you're in a boulder field. So the ground is uneven. And when the shot happened, I wanted to be able to get it. And so I had to sit down in between some boulders and kind of use the boulders to steady the camera and just kind of wait for that image to happen. And the one, the shot that I think Mark was talking about, they got off on this steep slope and the clouds were just kind of swirling around this goat. So um, the one that I put on the uh, podcast feed, the clouds just open up and kind of frame this goat perfectly. And you've got this nice blue background, um, the white clouds all the way around it. And then the sun, as it was going down, lit the whole scene just kind of perfectly. It was backlit. Um, but I don't think front lit, I don't think that shot would have turned out the same because the highlights of the clouds and the highlights of the goat, I think you could have gotten it a little bit washed out as the image took place. So you, you kind of had to balance that as far as, um, the exposure went and it was kind of a, you know, before I've talked about changing exposure by shutter speed, but this, you really had to balance ISO and, and your depth of field also because you had all that stuff going on behind the goat and then, you know, your shutter speed to, to get that exposure perfect. But I, I think, Mark, that that's the shot you were talking about, is it not? Yes, it sounds like it. And, and one thing I want to point out to our listeners is that 
as you said earlier, you are above the clouds in this scenario. And yeah. it really pictures mountain goat country perfectly to me. It just, because yeah. of the light you had, we really need that heavenly audio sound. There's Whoa! <laughs> while this is going on, right? Because the yeah, light's coming sure. through the clouds. You've got this incredible Rocky Mountain high altitude country that they live in. It just captured mountain goat, the mountain goat world perfectly to me. And, and uh, I was truly impressed by the landscape and the power of it and the light and, and your perspective too. You know, you often see some of these, I mean, with first time I filmed uh, mountain goats, I was way below them, right? Because I just couldn't yeah. get up to them. The shale was too loose. It wasn't feasible. But your perspective, I like so much better. It's like you're up. How often do you get to be above them and see their whole world? And and it's not like you're looking down. It's it's a bit of a side view. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was. I was so excited to do this podcast to hear your story, just right out of the gate, based on that image, and very powerful. Yeah, and they honestly, I the whole time when they first bailed off. They kind of bail off into this big, real steep bowl, but the way the the way the clouds were in the bowl, the bowl was already in the shadow. It was on the backside of the mountain from the sun, and then the clouds moved in, and you couldn't really, you know, there wasn't much for image possibilities down there. But like I said, you you could see it kind of building, and I knew if they went around that next little finger ridge, that it, it was going to happen. So we stuck that out. That was, the whole thing probably took an hour and a half, two hours to happen. But when you see something like that coming and, you know, you're only there for a short time, so you don't anticipate having that kind of opportunity. When you see like that thing setting itself up, that, uh, that got me pretty excited. And I would have waited there for all afternoon if I had to, to, to get what was coming. But the whole time I'm sitting there waiting for them to get to the, get to the point. These kids down below, and we just watching. I had I had met a friend of mine down there, and we just watched them because these kids were, I mean, up and down and along the cliff face, and you know, took a couple images, but they weren't. They were in shadow. They weren't great. But the whole time I'm thinking, man, if if Mike was here with that red, this would be some unbelievable footage. Um, and I, I probably should have busted out the tripod and tried to get a little bit of video. I didn't, I didn't climb back up to where I had the vehicle and, or had left the vehicle, but that, you know, just having those, that whole scene kind of dancing through your head is a great, great memory. And it was great to just observe, like we've talked about before, you don't always get the shot, but just to be able to see some of the things that we get to see. It was spectacular. Well, it's worth the trip, just that experience. Oh, right? yeah, for sure. Total surprise how it came together. We have to get you an Osmo. We have to get you a gimbal so you can tell some I got stories. it. You do? Yeah. All right. It's here, but it's it's a little more of a learning curve than I anticipated. <laughs> It'll come. Just it was, start playing with it. I tried to get it, um, get it going in with that wind and kind of one of the things that you were fighting up in Canada that it would it would be steady and then all of a sudden it would just start flopping Sometimes and i don't know that it yeah. wasn't the wind that was causing that because it, it worked fine uh, once i got it out of the breeze but yeah breeze it it was it was gale force breeze yeah 
Right. That could easily have done the difference. Sure. But yeah, get playing with that. That's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. And uh, for situations like that, just to tell the story over your shoulder, it's nice to, mm-hmm. but yeah, it takes, it takes a little bit of finesse and I'm still tweaking it, learning it. Like things like the, you've got the exposure lock on it, the focus tracking, those kinds of things that, you know, I, when I hit the screen, the exposure adjustment and lock isn't working as smoothly as I'd like it to. So I have to keep playing with that. And that was one of my issues too, especially in late evening light. Uh, right. The story you were referring to with the moose calf um, in the Northern Rockies a few weeks ago, it just kept drifting on me and exposure drifted. And I didn't see any point in recording it if it's overexposed. That's not what I want to show our viewers, right? So I'm mm-hmm. trying to perfect that those components, those settings on it too. So those are things to be aware of. Um, and even when recording, uh, just uh, the monologues and stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this high, it's, I mean, I can't remember the last time if I that I wasn't in an airplane when I was above the clouds. So <laughs> so this, this this sounds like an amazing perspective and, and weekend trip yeah, that you had. And, it's an uh, amazing spot. And I think a lot of is. the trailheads in Colorado, in that area, you can find goats. So it's really mm-hmm. just a matter of spending the time out there. This spot's cool because you can drive there. and But then you still have to hike to go find the goats. How many goats do you think you saw total? Because they're all in different groups. I mean, there'll be like teenagers yeah, over saw- here and nannies and kids here. And you really don't see that many big billies there. Most of the big billies are mm-hmm. way off in the somewhere else. I don't even know where they go, but... As far as young billies and nannies and kids, it's tons. Yeah, I'm kind of guessing, but I think the one that was on the that sheer cliff face, I'm pretty sure that was a, a billy. It was a big, mature-looking goat, and it was by itself. I mean, there was no no kid or anything with it. So I, I kind of, I guess that it was a billy. But, yeah, I don't, I think um, where the lake is, I've seen billy's on the the cliffs on the far side of that drainage but i haven't seen any up on top in the flats where um where it's easily more easily accessible and that group the first group that we saw or that i found uh there was i think we counted 13 but then i think some more came over from the the other side of the ridge so there might have been 15 or 16 goats in that first herd and then up on top, a little further up, there was another bunch that was, um, uh, might have been 12 to 13 as well. And then, yeah, so I probably probably saw 50 to 60 different goats. And, and then you saw some sheep too, right? Yeah, so that, the, yeah, that was the other thing. So backing up while we're waiting for this whole thing to unfold, there was a, a nanny and she had apparently the kid bailed off with with some of the other goats because the the kids sometimes will play with those juvenile goats those yearlings and they'll start playing together and then they when they bail off the cliff one of the kids went off with the yearlings and so this nanny is just kind of going crazy you could you could hear her and they just kind of make this Meh. it's kind of a you know just a like a single goat. note yeah a goat sound and uh and then all of a sudden you hear something completely different so you hear this <laughs> and i look over my shoulder 
and there are three um, lambs, bighorn sheep lambs, and I didn't see any adults initially. And these bighorn sheep lambs were nervous as heck because the goat kept circling back around them, and they they didn't like that at all. They were nervous about the goats. Um, the lambs were. The ewes were fine, but, yeah, the lambs were really nervous. And so then I see three lambs, and they popped up. The goat kind of circled around them, and they took off running. And so that's uh, – I got a couple shots of this lamb, and it was just – straight line bolting if i'd have been thinking about it it was a great opportunity because it was running kind of parallel to me and i could have done some motion blur along with it but i was trying to get the little buggers are fast they're just on springs and i mean they'd go 15 to 20 feet at a shot over these little boulder fields running away from the goats the lambs were fun to watch and then a you know, once they, the goats kind of moved away, the lambs relaxed, the ewes re- relaxed, and uh, we, I got some images of a, a lamb that was nursing. And I don't know if she had twins or if she had, you know, another, um, another used lamb with her, but one lamb was nursing and the other one was standing there just kind of, he was the sentinel. He was watching to make sure nothing went wrong. He honestly didn't take his eyes off those goats until they got well away from him. So I don't know how that interaction, have you ever seen that interaction play out up there, Mike? No, no, I see them all the time, both species, but I never, never see, you know, you see that what you explained, you know, you you just get a little, they don't commingle at all. No. You know, they'll just skirt around each other. In my opinion, the baby sheep, are cuter than the baby goats. Yeah, they are, for I sure. I think they're just um, amazing that how cute they are, the little sheep. But the goats are cool, too. I mean, they're really cute yeah. as well. But as far as the cute factor, I think the sheep win. I, I, in yeah, fact, I, I think they're cuter than just about any baby mammal in North America. Whoa. Yeah. Although I saw we a baby caribou there. the other day that was pretty cute. Oh, really? And then there was a baby moose outside my door last night that was pretty cute. Yeah. It's not Halloween yet. What's going on outside your door? How you got a baby moose out there? That's the Alaska life, right? Yeah. That just happens to be where you are. Yep. So cool and so envious. And you're saying the baby moose is not as cute as a bighorn sheep lamb. I don't know. I think it's just at a certain age. It's not like even that close. first 30 days of those baby sheep, they're just cute. White ta- what about a whitetail fawn? Wait. What about a pronghorn antelope? No. That's the only time a pronghorn antelope is cute, is when they're a fawn. But I still, I, I have to agree. There's not much that holds a candle to a, a bighorn sheep lamb. No. A whitetail fawn. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, guys. <laughs> All right. All right. To each his own. And we'll respect that. So what else did you see up there? Did you see any? I've had good luck with ermines up there or the short-tailed weasels. I didn't see any ermines. And quite honestly, as soon as this all started playing out, my mindset shifted to nothing but but goats and sheep at that time. And, you know, that I I stayed down, hunkered in the cliff until the sun was well 
behind the mountain. Did you see any elk up there? Came up. I didn't. No. Hmm. Uh, and generally, the other the other times that I've been there, I've always seen at least one elk. I did see a red fox, but it was way down low. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was it. I didn't even mess with the pike anymore after the first morning. So that yeah, that capped off day one. Um, got up the next morning and and went straight up to the top. Get to the top for sunrise or that's that was the plan. Okay. But the clouds were so thick up there and the fog was so thick on the way up that I honestly contemplated not going because you couldn't there was a couple times where there was a, a vehicle in front of me and I couldn't see it until I was almost in their back seat with them. It, it was that dark. And so I didn't know if I was going to break out of that or not. Um, and just kept, I kept climbing because, you know, every time I've been there and been in the clouds, you generally climb above them. So I kept climbing and, and eventually did. Yeah. I broke out on top of the clouds and, and, uh, but I was almost all the way to the top when I finally got out of that and then went up to the top and, and there was, uh, a group of bighorn sheep at the top with four lambs this time and had a pretty good shoot with them. And this is where things kind of, when you're shooting in a very public area, um, you know that there's a chance you're going to be around other people. Um, you just hope that everybody's courteous and everybody's giving each other the same opportunity. Um, and this is something that, you know, we saw a couple times play out, um, up North as well, but this time it was a little bit, it was a little bit different. Uh, there was a, a photographer up there and guy was photographing with his wife and had a good shoot with these bighorn sheep lambs. And the, the ewes went around us and the lambs were kind of tracking so that they could, you know, go join the ewes and stay with them. And this guy jumped out in front of them and cut them off. He was, he was even moving side to side to cut these lambs off because he, he wanted them with this background that we had. And I didn't really say anything at that point. Um, but I, I did move to the side and I did, I guess I did say, you know, let's give them some space, let them, let them go where they need to go. And I backed off and he stayed planted right there and was moving back and forth and just cutting these animals off. Um, so I got a little bit miffed, but I just kind of moved on. I didn't, didn't make a big deal of it. And, uh, I moved to a location. So there was a location about, I don't know, within a quarter mile where there were some mountain goat kids and they were, you know, the nannies and the kids were up right at the top of the mountain. And they were, there were some man-made structures there. I think, you know, one of the images, I think it's even on our Instagram page, Mike, or is it on your personal page that you got of a, a goat up on top with the telescope? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll look. It's um, either ours collective one or my individual one. Yeah. So it's in that same area and, and there's a parking lot up there. And so there's, you know, there's an area where there's some man-made structure, but these kids kept wanting to go play off in this natural boulder field, which of course is where you want to photograph them as well. And 
you know, later, it was a little bit later in the morning. So there was more people up there in the parking lot and there was people kind of all the way around and they, there was one lane where there was some escape for them so they could relax a little bit. Same guy showed up and he went and parked himself right in the only lane where they could get anything natural and get away from the crowd, which they wanted to do at that point in time. And then not only did he cut the, the kids off, but then he started yelling at the other people that were around to get out of his shot. And at that point, I, I kind of got upset. I, I said, you know, you need to give these animals a route to escape. And that's something that you try to be conscious of is, you know, err on the side of the wildlife. If you need to put your camera down and, and give them room to go where they want to go, then that's what you do. Um, granted, everybody's up there to get get shots of, of these animals and these kids especially, but you've got to you've got to err on the side of the wildlife and and give them an opportunity to get away if they you know if they're stressed. And this nanny at the at this time, this nanny started kind of hooking and she was obviously agitated. And everybody else was very curious, backed way off. And there was, you know, when she was doing this, this guy was probably within 10 feet of her. And everybody else was keeping a, a respectable di distance. You know, in all the parks, I think in Canada, it's the same way as in the U.S., 25 yards from an ungulate. And then they want you 100 yards from predators. You know, don't approach them within 100 yards, I think is is pretty standard, is it not, up there as well, Mark? Yes, that's about right. Yeah, and with predators, yeah, it's not approaching them. I mean, sometimes they happen to pop up incidentally by you, right. by yeah, a person, exactly. but it's, there's no pursuit of the predators that way. Yeah. And, and with the ungulates, yeah, you know, 25 yards. Honestly, with the telephotos, the zoom lenses we have, we don't need to be 25 yards even, you know. So there's no reason to stress the animals. And not to get on a tangent, but, you know, giving the animals a little bit of space so they behave naturally. Naturally, yeah. Exactly. Almost always gives better images at the end of the day anyhow, you know. So I really regret, and I know it's standard. I know this happens everywhere. But I regret hearing about these individuals that are bad apples that give wildlife photographers or nature photographers a bad rep because a bad name and we in this instance and most you know 95 percent of nature enthusiast photographers uh, care about the animals more than the picture and respect that and just enjoy being in that vicinity so you know it's a matter of hopefully the group you know with the right choice of words and you'd be perfect at it with your law enforcement background no doubt you know, could help the person understand what they're doing. And it's not just the fact that, okay, maybe they're going to get one picture that for some reason they've conjured up as a good one in their head right. uh, that they're going to get to take home. Um, but it's, it's ruining it for everybody else because there's going to be somebody who's going to be filming it on their smartphone now and posting it on social media and showing this person. And they're going to call them a wildlife photographer or a nature photographer and then that has the potential to go viral. Then we see that on media networks and look how silly this person was with this bear or this or that. And, you know, most of the time, in fact, probably almost all the time, they're not professionals, you know, they, mm -hmm. and, and they're pushing the envelope in ways that they shouldn't. 
So uh, people need to be educated to respect the wildlife. But it's human nature. You know, we're always going to run into these people who who don't. You know, all they care about is is themselves, and, and that's just who they are. And, you know, we do our best to educate them. And I don't mean to, to take take that story on a run here, but I just... Uh, no, I don't think that's a run at all. I, that, that's exactly, that was exactly my thought. And, you know, you're talking about my previous life. That, that entered my mind. Was, man, this guy would be up in the parking lot having a whole different conversation if, if it were a different time. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. And it was one of those things, those times where it was better to just pack up and leave than stay there and start an altercation. But, you know, I definitely shared my thoughts on respecting the wildlife and, and giving them the space that they need and, and, you know, allowing them to go into a natural area. Which yeah, so, obviously was better too, right? Yeah. yeah. For the photo opportunities but, or video. I mean, yeah, it's, people are going to do that and it happens everywhere and in every type of situation and not, and not even wildlife specific, you know, human curiosity oversteps, oh, ba- oversteps boundaries throughout society, you yeah. know, and it's, it's a matter of just, you know, for those people who see those videos go viral you know, recognize that that's somebody, that's an individual who does not respect the wildlife and they're not professionals and, and doesn't, they don't represent the mass of wildlife photographers who really genuinely care about wildlife conservation and, and, and get a thrill mm-hmm. out of being in the vicinity of all, whatever species they're around. Um, it's just a, a bad situation and unfortunate. And with these young, yeah. So on another subject though, I, I'm curious are there ever mountain lions up there because of these young or is it just too precarious that they don't bother to pursue them up at that elevation? I'm sure there are. I mean, mountain lion numbers in Colorado are fairly high, Mike, aren't they? Yeah. But I've never seen a lion up there. Yeah. I've never even heard about one up there, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I think for sure there's gotta be some up there, but those areas for the goats and the sheep are so, it's like Ron was saying earlier. They're so precarious. They can just get out on those ledges that I don't think a lion would go out. They're so probably they better lions. off going after the elk calves and the deer. Yeah. Sure. Um, which would be more for the elk calves of the population, right? What you, in Colorado is so big, so many elk, so awesome. So the mountain lions probably only go up there at night just like the Sasquatch. Probably, yeah. Right. And they so just they never... step on the rocks. They leave no trace. Right, we never get to see them. Right, <laughs> and the that grizzly is, bears. That, oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, and the grizzly bears. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Wink. Um, so, Ron, did you want to talk? So we talked about the safety, or, or no, the respect more than the safety of interacting with wildlife. But I also want to mention something because you brought up uh, a week or so ago when we were actually just talking about people interacting with baby animals and. Yeah, I I'm not sure if this is where you were going, but I really think it was. Is that, and it happens a lot in the east with deer fawns. Any any of these ungulates that hide their young, right, and go and forage, and come back like whitetails, they'll go forage for about four hours on average, and then come back to the fawn. But they leave it hidden for the first few weeks until it increases in its strength and mobility. Yeah. That's why they have spots, right? So they hide in the forest, and of course, you know, uh, people find them. And there's no mom around. And, and I, this has been covered again and again in media, but it still is happening with surprising numbers where people will pick up the fawn and 
feel like they're rescuing it because it's been abandoned. They don't want to see it get eaten. And they take it somewhere and ends up in a rehab and then potentially if it survives, released at a later date. You know, so don't do that. And right? honestly, that's, you know, in in a lot of cases, that's even sugarcoating it a little bit because a, a lot of times the fawns that are picked up in Wyoming specifically, I can I can speak to that, end up at the state vet lab. And their fate is worse than death because, you know, they end up being tested or they end up being on display in a pen as a captive animal from that point forward. Because, you know, if you release them after they've been picked up, you know, you look at that elk or uh, excuse me, a buffalo calf in Yellowstone. What was that two years ago? Guys were afraid that it was going to freeze because it was in the cold water in the river. Those animals are made for the environment that they're living in. They're perfectly adapted um, to live in the conditions that they live in. And they're far better off being just left alone. And that, what brought it up is uh, a friend of mine is a game warden in a community here close to us. And same thing. Guy caught a fox in a live trap. Um, he was targeting skunks because the skunks have been getting in and and eating his feed. So he's targeting the skunk, he was going to take him out, release him in a different area. He caught this red fox kit. And instead of just releasing it, because you know if a, if a fox kit is in an area like that, he's got to be close to the den because the thing is only probably, you know, two months old at the time. Um, but instead, picked it up, handled it, took it into the game warden, dropped it off. And, you know, that's kind of, I don't think people realize that, and I don't want to sugarcoat it at all because the fate that these animals, uh, they're going to die or they're going to live a life in captivity or worse yet, live a life being tested. And yeah, the state vet lab has to have animals to test. They do. Um, trying to find cures for something like chronic wasting disease Unfortunately, that's where a lot of these fawns end up, if not being fed to the predators that are, you know, being tested at these labs. Um, so it is, it is unfortunate, and that animal will be just fine. You know, one thing that Mike and I were talking about a while back is, yeah, it's great to get these cool fawn shots, but, you know, they have no scent. You know, they drop these fawns, and they'll leave them laying in the grass, and a baby pronghorn, you know, they've got white on their body as they get older, and they're pretty easy to spot. But a baby pronghorn is a lot darker, and you, they lay them down in that grass. And sometimes they lay them down, and it's everything you can do to just pick them back out of where they lay down with a good set of binoculars. You just can't see them. And the reason that we were talking about this is I came along a uh, mule deer fawn, and just walking along through this drainage to get back to my vehicle and here's this fawn laying in the laying in the brush and snapped a couple images and then just got the heck out of there didn't mess around with this thing at all and one of the things that mike brought up was you know they're they have no scent at that point in time and it's for a reason because they the the does will leave them there no scent nothing to attract a predator the predator has to come along them basically stumble over them just the same as we did. But we get that human scent in, and, and Mike's point was, 
and you can speak to this, Mike, I don't want to speak for you, but it, it brings them right. It gives the predator an opportunity to follow a trail basically, because we do have a scent. And if we spend a lot of time in one area, you know, that, that can be a way that attracts predator, but you know, of course, coyotes got to eat too. Um, but those animals are scentless. So leaving them lay there, they're better off than, than us monkeying around with it, messing with the process. So don't disturb them. And you know what? Resist even photographing them. Because if you just wait for three or four weeks, they're going to be out in the meadows with the wildflowers, with their mom, posing, jumping, playing, lots of photo opportunities in these locations at that time. And they are cute all summer long. They keep their spots, you know, through July and August when you can photograph them. And they are super fast and can evade predators at that time. So, yeah, avoid, resist photographing them when they're newborns, when they're hiding, and definitely don't disturb and don't pick them up. I want to take this very quickly in one other direction and hit this ball out of the park in as far as what baby animals also mean to wildlife populations from a biological point of view. We do want to see them survive. We don't want to disturb them or move them from their environment. But that being said, these prey species also reproduce at a high enough rate that they are meant to supply forage for the predator populations as well. So if you think of moose, for instance, and, you know, moose statistically lose half of their calf population each year to predation. It might be accident and then scavenging, but let's just say predation to wolves and bears, etc. Not all of these young are, unfortunately, you know, from a because they're cute, they're not all meant to survive their first year, and they need to feed these predator populations no matter what they might be. And that being said, when a fawn or a lamb or a goat is taken by a predator, no matter what the predator is, whether it's a a canid or an avian predator like an eagle, they feed on it, but not just them. There are dozens of species that will feed on this carcass and, and everything from smaller birds to smaller predators like weasels and foxes and then you'll get even rodents in there they keep populations going so as real as this sounds it is important that there's a certain percentage of these baby populations do feed the ecosystem around them Um, and that's natural and that happens and um, you know i don't know i could say maybe more get hit by cars in some places right i mean we have to leave some for these ecosystems to to survive on. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna take one step further and cross another line. And I'm going to just quickly touch on something else that I have a pet peeve with, personally get annoyed with every time I see a cat outdoors in the wild, um, whether it's a feral cat or just a house cat that somebody lets out for the daytime. And when it comes to baby animals, very few things have the impact on wild populations and especially of songbirds than the household cat that's let out to play in the daytime. They go hunt for fun. They kill these baby birds or these small mammals. They don't consume them. They come back in, eat their kibble and repeat the next day. Now here's the shocker. Get ready for this. Statistically that, you know, these cats kill up to 3.7 billion birds in the U.S. alone each year. 
So you like to see your warblers coming through. You like to see your gross beaks are coming through, your cardinals, whatever the songbirds you like to see. 3.7 billion of them are being taken off the planet thanks to cats that are outdoors. And we can also say the same, if you can look this up on Google, it's all there at the fingertips. 20.7 billion mammals are killed by cats, domestic cats, annually in the United States. So I implore you not to let your cats outdoors and enjoy them in the house. They've got their kitty litter there. They've got their food there, which you want to buy to keep them healthy anyway. And enjoy the birds outside the window. Let them enjoy the birds through the window. Otherwise, if you let your cat outdoors, it's part of the food chain. And I will then be rooting for the fox <laughs> or the hawk or the owl because I want to see these birds make it through and these other small mammals. So I just wanted to mention that as well because I care about these wildlife populations and conservation. Birds have enough issues going on with a lot of the high buildings, night lights at night, they're hitting the glass windows. There's a lot going on uh, when it comes to migration. You know, anything we can do to help our wildlife populations stay sustainable is important to be attentive to on a daily basis. And songbird populations, you know, have been crashing on this amazing continent that we live on. So please keep that in mind and care about your cat and love your cat in the confines of your house. Well, and I think one of the things that can be put on top of that is if you want to see the warblers or if you want to see the really cool little native songbirds and the cats are out taking them out, what you're going to end up with is starlings who are an exotic species that are just going to fill in that space that's been evacuated by all these other birds that are gone now. Before I close off, I also wanted to touch base, Ron, because we all are engaged in the social media platforms for the enjoyment of it, for the business side of it. And I observed this week that you did a promotion of an image. And I need to ask you how that went, because I'm on the cusp of having to do that because I've recognized that I think it's necessary to keep growing at a rate that we want as far as followers and, and justify the time that we put into this social media. So tell me a bit, if you don't mind what, what happened and, and the outcome of that. Yeah. And honestly, um, I had dabbled with a couple before and just did a, you know, a small monetary amount. Um, and saw a little bit of growth, uh, most, most of the growth that I saw was, was natural. Um, but I saw a little bit of growth from those promotions. The reason that I decided to do another one was because everything had just kind of gotten stagnant on Instagram. And part of that may be my fault. I wasn't posting every day. I was posting like every other day. Um, a couple times one, like when I went to Colorado it was every third day, I think. Um, but it just kind of got stale. And it just wasn't seeing anything. Uh, but again, it's a, it's a timing issue because, uh, you know, Mike was sharing that one of his images that he just put up, uh, image of a caribou with the velvet kind of coming off, he had kind of played with some different hashtags. So I can't honestly say I have seen some growth here the last couple of days, but I honestly can't tell you whether it was from the promotion or because I – he told me to, you know, to mess with that, copy those hashtags and see what happened. And I did that. And the last couple of days, uh, I've seen again, a nice little shot in the arm. Okay. So, but I don't know the answer. I, right. I can't it's give you an honest know. answer there because I don't know 
whether it was the promotion or whether it was um, the uh, changing up the hashtags. But okay. I did see, because that promotion then, when you promote it on Instagram, that promotion carries over to Facebook as well. And I did see significant growth over there. So is that same image on Facebook then too? Yeah, you can. So when you have your, your business page on Facebook and you, and that's the way you do the promotions, you can, uh, there's a little slider. You can mark whether you want it to be on Facebook or not. And I certainly don't have all of my Instagram images on Facebook, but I just thought, you know, that was one of those that since I was doing the promotion anyway, I'd try to get more bang for the buck and go ahead and post that on Facebook as well. So yeah, that's, that's over there as well. And it did get, it did get a lot of views over there. It probably got 10 times as many views on Facebook as it did on Instagram. Hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's hard to know because you had the different hashtags. So sometime, well, I mean, we'll be experimenting more with this as time goes yeah. on, just out of our own interest. So we'll do it without changing the hashtags and just watch the number of likes and the number of followers and see what the increase was. The other thing I wanted to shine a light on too quickly was, if I remember correctly, when you dabbled in this the first time, there was also the the sliding scale of what you would pay for the promotion. You could put in five bucks, you could put in 20 bucks. Yeah. I want to know, I want. I just want to ask if you don't mind sharing this, what you paid this time and how you felt about that, or is it the same as um, before? Paid $3 a day for three days. Okay. And so that's it just build to, your, build to your credit yeah, card. I mean, how okay. however their algorithm works, the sliding scale. So obviously the more you pay, the more boost it's going to get and the more people are going to see it. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I, you know, it is a social media platform. You should mm -hmm. be able to have all of your quote unquote followers or friends see it. But I think that that's changing because they're trying to monetize it even more. Um, because the, the billions that they make on Facebook is not enough, I guess. I don't know. Well, um, they're so making it on Instagram too now because there's they are, ads, yeah. ads popping up every so many pictures you look at every five or six pictures, you've got an ad for some company now. So it's trickling, yeah. not trickling and it's pouring in there too. So it's unfortunate that, you know, for people like us who are, who are engaged with it, who, you know, genuinely enjoy it as I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, you know, to keep the, the, uh, our number of followers growing because of our time investment, you know, it's different ways to think about this and we don't have the inside scoop on how they're running their algorithms or why they're changing them. But, you know, there's, yeah. we're trying to stay abreast of it to, to make the best of our time, right? And reach mm -hmm. the most people. And I've noticed that shift too. And it's, you know, if it doesn't, how many, what percentage of your followers? So if you have hypothetically 10,000 followers, how many people see every post? And, and why is it certain people? Is it just those that like every single picture you put up that see it more often? Or once in a while, do they throw you a bone and it goes out to the other 2,000 that hasn't seen the past 10 posts? I have no idea how this works, and I just so wish it was more transparent and genuine for what we put out there, and and our, that our actual all of our followers would have the opportunity to see it. Um, but if that's not how the game's played, how is it played? And that's what we're from where we sit trying to figure out, so we can maximize our potential and share that information with you, our listeners, as to what we're finding to be most effective. So stay on board. And tune into future podcasts because the social media, the Instagram stuff is something that we're dialed into 
all the time, all three of us, and we are trying to learn at the same time through our trial and error and our research, and we'll definitely keep you up, up to speed and share that along the way. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad, well, I was just curious to hear how, how this panned out and whether you noticed a big spike and, and also the sliding scale. And that's something to decide too, you know, as a, right. as a business and wanting to grow your followers, do you say, okay, what is the magic number? You know, I don't mind paying 20 bucks a month to see if this is, I mean, I'd rather not for this because it's a social platform. But if I, if we put in $20 a month, does it give that kind of growth that we're all happy with? You know, does it speed things along and get the billions of access, the billions of people who engage with this social media platform, uh, an opportunity, you know, to grow our pages and feeds in a way that they should be growing, not have them held back for any reason. Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm going to work on that myself. But yeah, I'll be curious to experiment. And as you said, you put um, $3 a day for three days. It'd be cool. Interesting. This is all a learning curve to try, you know, $10 a day for two days and see what the difference yeah. is. Or if, if it's once a week a promotion happens. I know since I switched to a business profile on my Instagram feed about three months ago or so that they've requested daily that I promote the image I put up, and which means giving it some kind of fiscal sponsorship to get more traction and to access more people. Um, because I currently don't have a Facebook page, I haven't been able to engage in that and do any promotions because that's mandatory connection between the two platforms. So I am uh, having a Facebook page created just so that I can do some of these promotions to see where this happens and where it goes because I invest so much time in Instagram and promoting on social media because we know that you know odds are in the future, if not already, that those are the best means to, to educate people of what we have to offer as professional photographers and what you can purchase and buy from us um, for what, what we do, whether it's prints or canvases or medals or books or calendars, you know, that's the best way to get that advertising out there for people to know. So we want to make use of these tools um, and we simply enjoy it. I love seeing everybody's pictures that I follow. And, you know, I'm taken back every single day with something somewhere of uh, a quality image or video that's like, wow, that's phenomenal. And um, for those of you that put up where you took it, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not that I have the time to go everywhere, but it's interesting to see some of these these places. And and for those of you that message me and ask me exactly where I took it, I do apologize, but I'm not going to say that because I don't want the whole world to show up and and uh, find that bear or that moose. Um, but I am delighted to share the images with you and all kinds of other details about the experience and the how-tos and the, and the gear and the hacks that we, that we do to, to be professionals and, uh, and uh, in the general vicinity, but not too specific as you hope, I hope you can understand. So guys, this was fun. I, I again, encourage our, our listeners to check the show notes on wildandexposed.com to see the images that Ron collected from some of the highest country in the southern 48 or guys correct me is it the highest altitude in the southern 48 it's got to be close uh, i don't think so no um washington i think washington. has rainier's higher rainier's higher okay i think okay Isn't close it? to close to some of the it's highest altitude wildlife photography yeah it's over fourteen thousand feet it's over 14 yeah which is up there. I mean, you 
the oxygen level, you notice a difference, right? You're not it is, you're not going up there different. to run two miles, right? No, not on purpose. Definitely. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I appreciate Ron sharing this adventure with us. It was like being there and really the results he had for the short period of time he was there. The weather, the lighting, the perspective. You've got to go check out those visuals, seriously. So have a look at the show notes that way. They'll also be up on the Instagram feed at Wild and Exposed. And, um, yeah, stay tuned. And and we will be bringing you more uh, podcasts in the very new, near future from the far north. We have a lot of different plans with exciting adventures, daily trips, and sometimes more than daily trips. And we'll also be doing more short uh, videos so that you can watch those on YouTube or after the podcast, you'll see them down below on the webpage as well and can click on those and you can see what we've experienced in a short or one or two minute video and enjoy those as well. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy the outdoors. Get outside, get some fresh air. And as Ron has pointed out on this podcast, you never know what you're going to experience, big or small. So mm -hmm. thank you for tuning in and until next time, take care. <laughs>